Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello, and welcome once again to an episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Matthew Barnes. Now, Matthew is a current master's student at the University of Ottawa in occupational therapy. Matthew has found his passion in the intersecting fields of inclusion, accessibility, justice, and community. On this episode, we talk about some pretty big systemic issues around community, inclusion, and overall compassion for one another. I will say that there's content warning here. At one point in the episode, we do mention the recent discoveries around the residential schools. So if that is something that is triggering to you, please listen with caution. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us here once again. I have the privilege of being joined by Matthew Barnes. And uh, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for agreeing to be part of this podcast. And and I'm excited to jump into it. Thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited. I really have enjoyed the content that you've already posted. So I'm very honored to be part of it. (laughs) Well, and it kind of sparked from we we know each other from camp and we've crossed paths through that avenue and we've always had these little snippets of conversation yeah and i've thought there's somebody that i feel has like a bigger story that i could that i could talk to and probably Mm -hmm. have some of those you know questioning the universe conversations with (laughs) (laughs) and we hopped on the phone to catch up and the phone call went on for quite some time i was like yes we need to do we need to do a podcast (laughs) this needs to happen now (laughs) So I thought we would start off as I start off most of my podcasts. Uh, this one, we're going to be focusing on what what you've gotten yourself into, what you're exploring and all this with is the realm of occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to ask as I start most of these this way is what got you inspired to get into occupational therapy? That's a really good question. Um, I guess... Um, well, if we're if we're getting down to the nitty gritty... Um, and I guess maybe I'll, I'll give a little content warning. I'm about to talk about like a motor vehicle accident, but, um, when I was about 13, I was actually in a pretty bad car accident. Um, I didn't have my seatbelt on. Um, we were just going to like our weekly, um, trip to a market and, um, it was, it wasn't very far. Um, we didn't think anything of it. And I essentially, uh, we T-boned this other car. Uh, we collided and essentially because of the impact, uh, I went straight through the window um, and I ended up landing on my, uh, I guess like my shoulder, which broke my collarbone. Um, and then right after the car like stopped spinning, the back tire actually ended up on my leg. So once they got everyone out of the car, um, they had to essentially lift the car off of me. Um, so, uh, but I managed to leave that with like still like as I like a f- fully able-bodied human being um broken collarbone bruised muscle tissue in my knee from like the the tire and like a, a scar over my eye um 
and I don't know, near-death experiences, man, they, um, they change you. They really do. And it's funny because I, I stumbled upon stoicism a while back and it was like, oh, I have been living this. Like I have been living, like live each day as if it was your last because right. I, that day could have been my last, you know? So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but through that experience, I, I don't know, I, I'm a very resilient person and I know not a lot of people can like leave traumatic events like that um, unscathed, but I really saw it as an opportunity. It was like, oh, what, what is like rehab science? What is physiotherapy? To be completely like honest, I didn't have an occupational therapy, but I think like the universe gives you like little snippets of just like, okay, here's like a cracker. Now go eat it and then follow the trail that follows. So through that, I got involved in like kinesiology at U of T. And then after my involvement in kinesiology, I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I really want to just focus on the body specifically. And then I found occupational therapy and it was like, whoa, that's wicked. Um, it's, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't really know what occupational therapy is. So I can kind of give you like a little. Yeah, that's totally like my name. Yeah, yeah, of course. So occupational therapy, what is it? It's essentially, um, well, there's the word occupational and, and therapy. So it's essentially using therapy. Uh, hmm, let me rephrase that. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, using occupations as your, your therapy. So um, the way that we have defined occupational therapy in Canada, and it's actually really cool because occupational therapy was actually started in Canada after, uh, after the world wars uh, as a means to rehabilitate um, uh, soldiers. Um, but yeah, essentially the three components of occupation are uh, self-care, uh, productivity, and leisure. Uh, so we focus on like all of those different aspects and we help uh, people in various scenarios, not just rehab settings. Like um, we help uh, like in acute care settings in hospitals, we help set people up with like wheelchairs and walkers so that they can kind of um, enhance their mobility and kind of like um, speed along the rehabilitation process. Uh, we can also work with, um, this is just like uh, an example I'm pulling at random here, but like, uh, children on the autism spectrum, if they want to work on their social skills and things like that. Mm -hmm. Or um, one of my professors offered like a, a very simple example of like maybe someone who has like a motor processing disorder wants to learn how to skip rope like the rest of their friends at school. Like you can call in an occupational therapist and they can find like different methods and different ways to like um, get people involved in their meaningful occupations. Um, so that yeah. seems like it's like really really big it's snow. very broad it's very oh. broad and that's why it's so hard to define uh because even, i guess how do you focus when it's i guess whatever your passion is in you get little snippets of that in the school yeah. i feel like there's not enough hours in a degree program to really give you so much of all those different potentialities yeah so instead of like yeah. laying the groundwork for you to find your own passion or how does yeah. that Excellent question, Jason. Yeah. So essentially it's, um, yeah, my master's is essentially like putting down the groundwork. And then from there, you can kind of like figure out from there, okay, what do I want to specialize in? Do I want to spe specialize in like neurodivergency or do I want to specialize in like rehab or whatever? Like you kind of find your own niche. I, I always say like occupational therapy is like the best job for indecisive people. Cause you can just go into it and you're like, okay, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to explore around and I'm going to figure it out. It's great. Cause you get to work. Like you're not set with a specific like type of population uh, mm -hmm. or condition or like uh, 
even place. Like there are uh, occupational therapists that work in uh, hospitals, in uh, like rehab centers, like we discussed earlier, or like um, uh, in community as well. So there are occupational therapists that can actually go to your house and like provide like different accessibility uh, tools and accommodations so that you can enhance your, your daily living. It's, it's great. So now, how long have you been actually working as an occupational therapist? Um, oh, okay. So I'm actually still doing my master's right now. Okay. So. I thought we were, yeah, because yeah, you, you yeah. were doing some placements when we were talking, right? Yes, we were. Yes, I was. Sorry. <laughs> we were talking. I was doing the placement. <laughs> we're living like through. So when we were talking about that, uh, it was months ago now, but the yes. placement, I don't know if you're still in the same place or not, but you were talking about one individual. And I really appreciated the story. Yes. I believe they had had a stroke or something. Yes. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that because yeah, I really absolutely your, your approach to that. For sure. Yeah. Let me just gather my thoughts first because I don't, <laughs> it's, uh, it was such an amazing experience and I, I genuinely don't know where to start. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the starting point for me, I, I find like stroke and stroke rehabilitation, like I'm still learning about it, but I, I think it's really fascinating because essentially you are in a situation where your um, perception, but also the way your perception of reality and also the way you interact with reality is completely changed because your mechanism to like decipher reality has like short circuited mm -hmm. in a way. Um, so this patient, um, yeah, had a stroke post-surgery um, and had aphasia and various like mobility issues. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really tough because especially with COVID, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people weren't allowed to come in and visit or like very often. So we had very, very limited information on this patient. Um, and there was this moment, like, again, uh, this, this patient had expresses, expressive aphasia. <laughs> so had difficulties like, um, with like word acquisition and kind of like, um, talking, talking, like use using, it's so funny that <laughs> I'm having difficulty acquiring my own words right now. Perfect example of expression, right. expressive aphasia. But anyways, um, but it was really interesting because the more I began interacting and talking with her, I realized, oh, wait, she's able to take words that I have said to her and reuse them in her own way. So mm -hmm. it's like reacquiring, reacquiring words through that. That was just a hypothesis that I made. I'm not a neuroscientist or anything, right. but I thought it was really fascinating because she started using the same terms I was using. It was like, oh, the more I interact and connect with this woman, the more she is able to interact and connect with the world around her. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was really, really fast. Again, it would be so difficult because of COVID, this individual wasn't getting that uh, yes. like community power of community healing and expression yeah. that through those means. So how did, how did this experience kind of like open your eyes to the potentiality? Cause you and I had talked about like the power of connection. Yes. And I feel like there's some of that that I'm foreshadowing to right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I 
I mean, this conversation has been had in like many different spaces, but in terms of like the impact of COVID and having us kind of realize like how, how much we need connection, how much it's like a, a fundamental part of not only like our human existence, but it like our societies thrive better when we are more connected, you know, like I, I, I don't want to go on a, a tangent here, but I, I firmly believe, and I've said this before in class, um, and I, I feel like I may have received some judgment from my classmates, but I really don't care. I, I'm speaking it into existence. Like right now we are living in the age of information, but I think what's next is the age of connection. Mm -hmm. Because right now we have so many like distinct, um, everyone's so specialized. Everyone's so like in their own niche and uh, zone of comfort, um, which is great and I, I think a lot of people need to explore that but beyond that um kind of like uh adventure at uh camp like a at when before we go climb a rock wall we kind of use this analogy of like uh this the circle of comfort where when you step inside the circle of comfort you you are in your comfort zone and you 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 feel you feel comfortable and safe um and when you step out outside of that uh, zone of comfort that's the danger zone that's when you're panicky you can't do anything and you want to be right on the cusp like right on the circle and that's your your growth zone pretty much um so yeah i think uh i think we have a lot to a, a lot of work to do not just in like connections between ourselves but i think in terms of like connections between disciplines like i see a lot of uh conversations and discourse around interdisciplinary work and how how much we really need to collaborate in order to really see uh, the like our patients and clients as whole people, mm -hmm. you know. Well, something you know, I I work with a lot of nurses, and I even had mm -hmm. some nurses on this podcast, and it's really interesting, you know, understanding that everyone is doing their absolute best, and mm -hmm. that we all have these cups that exactly. end up at different degrees of full and empty as we go through our work days and we deal with our regular life stressors and all of this kind of stuff. But talking about how over years of working in some pretty high stress fields, that that connection is one of those noticeable things mm -hmm. that starts to dwindle and talking like I've, I've gone in. Uh, I remember when my family doctor, uh, my family doctor as a child passed away and I was trying to find a new family doctor yeah. I went through a few and there were so many doctors as I would walk into the office that would never take their hand off the handle when you would go in to like mm. them and they would never look at you in the eye. They'd be looking down at the paperwork the whole time and they would never really address you as a, a person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I worked around until I found someone that asked me, like, you know, what do you do? What's what's your activity level like? Oh, rock climbing. Amazing. Let's talk a little bit about that. And there was like a connection there. I was like, yes, okay. I feel comfortable. I feel safe. I feel like simply being in this person's presence is going to initiate the healing process. Exactly. And there's a, a really good book um, that someone recommended to me that I just finished reading not long ago called Mind Over Medicine, which... <gasps> yes. You and know, you recommended this to me earlier. Oh, yeah, I right. I'm really excited to read it. Uh, well, it was it was interesting because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of hokey pokey kind of stuff in it with that mm -hmm. title of like mind over medicine, but it was all completely uh, citing different case studies and stuff like mm -hmm. that about like the power of what we're talking about, the power exactly. of connection. And, and another book that I I love and I I'm not sure if you've you've come across it is Sapiens. Oh. I have, that's definitely on my reading list, but it is a, a hefty, a hefty yeah. book. 
It is a hefty book, but <laughs> talking about connections, which is really interesting mm -hmm. to take from an occupational therapy side of this, talking about connections, like that is kind of what brought Homo sapiens to this level of, yes. you want to call it success or what, you know, that's very subjective, but you know, it talks about in this book, it talks about how when we were in these small bands of community, these small bands of people, that there was true intimacy. And that would be like, we're like grooming each other. We know yes. each other in and out. And what that cultivates is like pure acceptance. Mm -hmm. There's no more need for me to hide who I am or be embarrassed or be ashamed because so everyone around me knows me and they're still here. So that means like we have this understanding that we are all going to accept each other. And if there's something that mm -hmm. someone's doing that we're not super excited about, then for the sake of the community, we had to have a conversation about it. There was no, there was no like gossiping behind each other's backs and all that. That mm -hmm. actually didn't come until later in the, uh, it, it's really cool because it talks about, you know, from intimate connections to the existence and, and creation of gossip to the creation of myth and how as we go into these larger societies that these new ways of communicating and all this kind of are born, but totally bring it down to it. How amazing would it be to feel like you can fully be you? Yes. I think authenticity is like a core component of connection. Mm. Um, and it's funny because like I've, uh, while we're speaking of books, I've been, it's so funny. I was never much of a reader as a kid. And now I'm just like, okay, I can't get enough of books. Like feed them to me now, please. Um, but there's this really uh, cool book that I've been reading called Hold On To Your Kids um, mm. that kind of talks about like um, attachment, uh, particularly with like parental attachment. I guess it's like a, a parenting book. Mm. Um, but they talk a lot about how um, in recent generations, like our adult orientation has shifted over to peer orientation and how um, uh, I guess like how culture is usually passed down has changed and as a result because we don't have like a significant attachment figure in our lives how um that can really um change uh over time and uh the author talks a lot about or authors there's two um talk a lot about the attachment village and how like um i guess western society no longer really has that like that sense of community mm -hmm. um and how that in a way like they, they talk about how that that leads not directly to like physical illness but they talk about how that's related to the suicide epidemic mm -hmm. and how um when you're not meaningfully connected to the people around you mm -hmm. um you think something is wrong with you uh and you you take that inwards and it's really interesting because in the book they kind of talk about um some of the issues surrounding peer orientation, I guess, like um, in the sense of um, because that the love uh, is might be conditional, like, you know, as children, we are growing up, we are learning how to be humans. Um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult because then you think that um, you're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? your value is almost like conditional. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the reason why you connect with someone is um, how you, uh, you have to navigate the world in order to be accepted and loved instead of being your authentic self. Um, 
So yeah, that was really, really powerful. Um, well, that's, that's one of the things when I, so I was, I was bullied a lot as a child. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a big person now. I think I'm maybe in like high shoes, five, four, something like that. And, uh, I was asthmatic. I was tiny, like 90 pounds in high school. Um, so lots of bullying, but what was yeah. interesting is I really reflected on that in my later life. Like what made me feel the most bullied? What made me feel the most isolated? Mm. What made me feel like I didn't have a sense of community? And, and what's really tricky about that is if we want to use the term bullying or isolation or whatever, it can take so many different forms that people don't even recognize. Yeah. And I remember, uh, cause I, I later, I've been part now of, of sweat lodges and many like share circles and all kinds of different communities from places I've been in the world and people I've, I've shared space with. And it's really interesting when we talk about really holding space for each other, mm -hmm. uh, different share circles and stuff are obviously different, but some of the traditions that I've, I've sat in with, they talk about how we don't even encourage necessarily so say we're in a circle mm -hmm. and um you know some language that you may find especially in some north american uh talk circles may be like brother speaks for me or sister speaks for me or something like that when someone says something in the group that's really meaningful but that's is really encouraging for that individual speaking but now mm -hmm. say i share something and nobody in the circle says like brother speaks for me and now all of a sudden, even though it wasn't a negative thing, it was the fact that I was the only person that didn't receive a positive affirmation behind what I said. Now it can still make me feel isolated, still make me feel like, you know, what have I, what did I say wrong? Or was it not good enough and all this kind of stuff. And so I've really liked, which is not new technology, all this, a lot of this is coming from thousands of years of handed down traditions, is this idea of going in with the mentality when we're speaking when we're sharing in these particular settings of speaking to completion and not to convincing you're not mm, speaking to like try to convince anyone that your point is right that it's you know specifically intelligent it's not about specific like effective communication where mm -hmm. i need everyone to understand me but it's about me feeling like i can just speak so i don't yes. have to worry if i have improper grammar if i fumble over my words or anything like that and that level, the first time I felt like that level of acceptance, in, in a lot of cases, they're complete strangers. But because there's this understanding, this group hive understanding, if you will, that we're going in with, there's this feeling of like, I am safe among all these strangers. And I always mm -hmm. think, and, you know, I've talked about this with many of the people in these groups is, you know, how do we ripple that out into the world? These feelings of just mm -hmm. like belonging. Held. Yeah, belonging. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really funny you mentioned that because earlier today, and it's funny, as I was watching this, I'm like, I need to mention this in Jason's podcast. Um, I don't know if you're very familiar with the work of Brene Brown, but she does a lot of, um, uh, I guess, like talks, and she's written a lot of books on the subject of, like, I guess, perfectionism and mm -hmm. um, accepting oneself and things like that. A lot of like self-help stuff, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I live for it and it's great. And it's it's funny because she, in this talk, she talked about like this researcher called like John Capaccio um, who talks a lot about how um, our primal needs uh, including like hunger, thirst, pain, uh, loneliness is part of that. Like loneliness kind of like talks about how you, you need like social connection um, mm -hmm. when when you're in trouble because 
I think, and I talk about this all the time in class, um, but I think it's really good to be self-reflective of the uh, culture that you grew up in. So like in, in Western culture, it's a very individualistic culture. Mm. Um, and I feel like it almost fosters that sense of, of loneliness. It's like, nope, you can do this all on your own. You need to be like, again, hyper-specialized. You need to know everything yourself. Um, and if you ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see that, like, I can see that also in my interactions with uh, like some of my peers in class. Like you can, you can tell that some of them are terrified to speak up because they don't want to make a mistake because their value for most of their life has been placed on school and being a student. And um, that's another thing that I think is really interesting. I don't want to go on too many tangents here, so bear with me. But School like, podcast is tangents. That's the, <laughs> that's okay, I live name. for it then. It's just a giant campfire talk, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like something that I really like about occupational therapy, but also in the scope of kind of what we're talking about, um, I feel like occupational therapy has the potential to um, help us in various life transitions. So whether that's like a transition from being an able-bodied person to someone living with a disability or mm -hmm. like a chronic condition or pain or something, you know, like it's really difficult to accept that. So like, how can we provide the tools necessary and resources necessary for you to thrive with your new life, you know, because I think that's another thing too, a really big part of life transitions is, um, when you have done something for a really long time, you identify with it. And in some circumstances, like your identity becomes amalgamated with that thing, with that occupation. Um, and I think a benefit to um, how, I don't know, navigate life is that I am very much a jack of all trades, but a master of none, which is better than a master of one, because I don't know, I think because I have so many things going on for me, like because I cycle and unicycle and knit and cross stitch and write and sing. And like, I have all of these different things and sure, maybe I'm not like super well-versed in all of them, mm -hmm. but at least I, I'm, I'm spreading myself amongst all these different things. And if for some reason, maybe I have like a vocal injury or something um, and I can't sing for a short period of time, like that's fine, but I have all of these other things, all of these other ways of being um to to help reorient me in a way you know like i'm not defined by one single thing well and this is you know one of the like core values that are that, that's kind of taught and and i don't know harnessed within like a mindfulness practice one of the yes, ideas exactly. if you dive into yogic philosophy buddhist philosophy or even like the more neo version of all of these kinds of mm. things is this idea that, you know, the big question is, so enlightenment, this heavy word enlightenment um, feels just, just too big and unobtainable. So another translation uh, that often we reflect with is self-realization. Okay, mm. well, self-realization to really get to know oneself starts to bring in the question of, well, who am I? And that's a huge question. Like who, who are we? That's massive. And in a lot of these, uh, these teachings, it's, it's explained that, well, you are nothing that can be lost, stolen, taken away. And I remember a quote from uh, Sadhguru was if a 200 or if a 500 pound person lost 250 pounds, 
would they have lost 50% of who they are? Mm-hmm. No. So we're not our body. Our body doesn't yeah. define who we are. And when you think about what can be lost, well, my job title can be lost. Yet how many people do we know associate so heavily with their, their job title? First thing mm-hmm. we do when we interact with people is, oh, what do you do? Is often like yes. one of these things, like I'm going to now measure you based off of what your, what your position is, how much maybe you make in a year and all this kind of stuff. And we go through, it can be sometimes negative things we associate with. It can also be what we would often mm-hmm. refer to as positive things, but they keep us in a state of fear in a lot of ways, which is kind of what's taught. Because if what we think defines us can be taken away, well, now that's terrifying mm-hmm. because we can lose ourselves. But if we can tap into this idea that these are all tools to the true owner of this being, and that if you lose a tool, no problem. Like you say, I have so many other great tools, then you're never lost. If you mm-hmm. look inward, you always have yourself. You can always tap into that deeper you. So often when people ask like, well, okay, well, who am I? Often the answer is like, it's a lot easier to start to rule out what you're not or who you're not. And if <laughs> we start to go through there, we get a little bit closer yeah. to really feel like, okay, yeah, you know what? I am just this moment this beauty, this bliss that can't be explained in words, that's me. And I want to- This existence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is like, and and I'm learning about occupational therapy uh, just from talking to you because it is kind of a field (laughs) I really didn't know much about, but it does sound like, you know, a field that can help teach a lot of these things because in transition, that's when we do have so many of these big questions. One of my Mm. podcasts- um, on on this show was with Amanda Halls, and she was talking yes. about, you know, being being the the athlete, being all these things that were very physically uh, connected mm-hmm. to going through the transition that she had to, and have to redefine, like, okay, well, you know, what does my life look like now, and how do I navigate these waters and everything, and you know, she she did so with such beautiful grace as far as you know what can be expected in that kind of a situation but there's so many people like you say depending on the traditions and the cultures that they're brought up in Mm -hmm. that that value in certain things we attach to whether it be the job whether it be you know the physical abilities and all this kind of stuff that when if or when those get lost that that's just absolutely terrifying yeah, no, exactly. I think something that you said when you said tools, like immediately, like a light bulb moment, uh, something that I've kind of been using as my mantra, and I'm still trying to figure out like the fine tuning of the wording or whatever. But um, yeah, I feel like I don't like to frame things in like a negative light because mm. it's better to just be like, well, do this instead of like, don't do this. But mm. I feel like um, for the purposes of this saying, it it needs to be phrased this way because it rhymes really nicely but I think it works to our own detriment when we use our roles and tools as rules you know Mm -hmm. um when we rely too heavily on oh well this is what I should be doing or this is the only way um that this thing can be done um we become inflexible Mm -hmm. um and it's I don't know I think it, it speaks very much to um resiliency and I, I, but I also want to acknowledge and be aware that um, there are lots of barriers to resiliency um, in some ways, like a particularly for people who are oppressed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a really big part of what I want to integrate into my practice, not only just like the holistic nature, but making sure that we're thriving towards a more just society. Sorry, that's very grandiose of me to say as like mm-hmm. this first year, almost second year master's student in occupational therapy, but it's genuinely something that I'm really, really passionate about because like a lot of the things that we've been saying, a lot of indigenous people would be like, well, duh, that's just like how we live. Like this is, there's so much wisdom in so many other cultures and ways of being that we're just not tapping into because we're just not like open and aware of what's out there. And I feel like we fall into the trap kind of, of um, sticking, sticking to what we know in Western medicine. I, I remember you mentioning, uh, what was it, in uh, how, when you were reading that book, Mind Over Medicine, mm-hmm. how you were like, oh, like, I don't know if it's like too woo-woo or whatever, but it's funny because like when you look into like, oh, too woo-woo, what is that? Like, um, I know those aren't your words yeah, I'm projecting this onto. Though. I'm acknowledging that. Um, but uh, yeah, you look into it and you're like, oh, well, that's like alternative medicine. Well, wait a second. Why is it alternative medicine? Like Chinese medicine has existed for way more, like way more years and way longer than like Western medicine. And sure, like maybe it doesn't have like as many like peer reviewed articles citing, I don't know, it's, it's proof or whatever. And I know for, for like the scientific community, that's, that's very important. It's important to have data on what works. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, um, I feel like a lot of Western medicine revolves around um, focusing on the negative, like we were talking about earlier, like uh, we focus a lot on disability, on illness, um, as opposed to focusing on how we can enhance wellness first before dealing with the illness, you know, like there aren't a lot of preventative factors that are put into place there. Um, sure, you can inform your clients, but you're also in informing your clients, you're kind of assuming that they have the same level of knowledge and access as you and that's just not the case, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, we can go back and and look at how things have gotten to where they are and why some of these traditions, like, you know, again, we talk about um, looking at the culture or some of that kind of stuff. Like when I spent time living in Australia, I got to, you know, live firsthand and experience some of the traditions of the Australian local Indigenous people. And I remember going up, uh, because I'm a didgeridoo player, I remember going up to this didgeridoo builder and said oh man this is this is a beautiful uh, yadaki did you did you build this and he said no 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 that's my uncle my uncle built that I'm like oh okay amazing and then i was looking at some of the other artwork and everything like oh where'd this come from i was like oh that's my that's my other uncle and like as i'm going around the shop everything was done by an uncle or an auntie and i was like how big is your family and he sat me down and he explained to me that in this area, in this region, anywhere where I was, mm-hmm. is they they didn't actually have, or sorry, 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 I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology. Okay. It wasn't uncles and aunts. He was saying that was my mother's, that's my that's my father's. And what was the huge takeaway is they actually didn't have a word for aunt or uncle in this. Mm. So everyone was your mother or father. And the way this was, or the way this went down was it would mean that if my brother had children, they would be equally my responsibility to raise to the same degree. It's not like, no, I babysat them before, any of that kind of stuff. This 
and and this is the way because of the the society how nomadic they were and all this they had to live they had to have you know a bunch of people going out to hunt to uh, gather and then they had to have the community that was going to help watch and everything so when we look at even the way some of the professions have developed and we mm -hmm. think about western medicine well it's western medicine has been you know brought here from different lands and then you have settlers that are trying to live in new environments that you know how don't know how necessarily to use local plants and all this and it's a lot of like emergency base care mm -hmm. where it's you know i don't have a lot of time to think of your emotional well-being in this because i need to stop the bleeding asap yeah. And, you know, you can't fault it. It saved lives and it served its purpose Definitely. as we went through the years. And it's kind of like when you were talking about what's that next, you know, the information age and the next stage of that, like, connection age. I, I think this is that opportunity to not, yeah. you know, get so stuck in the way to keep these open minds to say that maybe there are new ways that we can do things. No, exactly. It's funny because right when you said that, I remembered this moment in my placement where um, I was feeling a bit jaded and I was like, oh, like, what if, what if this was more focused on, on, on wellness as opposed to illness? And for a second, I was like, we need to change everything about Western medicine and Western society and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden there was like a code blue and someone had dropped on the floor and an entire team just like dashed to this room and like resuscitated this person. I was like, okay, I take that back. I take that back. Like we do, we do need this to keep people alive, but I think there's a distinction to be made between like helping people survive versus thrive. I think we've, we've put less emphasis on the thriving part because mm -hmm. we assume that people have the same tools and resources as everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, and it's oftentimes like the people that are in those, like in, in positions of like in uh, Western medical systems. And I, I don't mean to like overgeneralize, right. but usually people who are a little bit more well off and, it's very easy to kind of use your own perception as your own reality and kind of project that onto other people. And when you describe something to someone, you kind of assume that they know what you mean, but maybe they don't. Um, I'm, I know I'm being very vague here, but I hope that people kind of understand what, what I'm getting at. Um, but yeah, I think um, a lot of equalizing kind of has to happen and um, a lot of I think acknowledging our own the bias, our own biases, mm -hmm. and how our own culture kind of influences um, the way we we run things. Uh, and I'm as terrible as it is that um, sorry, I'm kind of shifting ways again. <laughs> um, as terrible as it is that we're we're finding um, all these children mm. uh, in unmarked graves um, in uh at indigenous uh, or sorry at, at residential school sites like in, indigenous children like it's terrible that we're finding them but like it's even more terrible that indigenous people have been telling us this for years and we haven't been listening to that pain we needed proof for the pain to be acknowledged mm -hmm. and that shouldn't happen um and you see that sometimes in in medical settings too people say i hurt and you're like, well, according to the scan here, you shouldn't, so mm -hmm. you don't. And it's like, well, I do. 
Do we need to so wait? Until what can we do about that? But right in our face before, oh, okay, maybe there's more to that. And, and I'm going to reference it again, but in Mind Over Medicine, it was really interesting mm -hmm. because the author whose name is, is escaping me, um, they end up talking about, you know, like I'm, I have air quotes here for those that are mm -hmm. listening, but like healthy people and that there's so many cases in that strictly what we consider medical field, Western medical field, mm -hmm. where people who are quote unquote healthy are dying of like, you know, these random, all these kinds of things. And so what she had done, cause she is, uh, she's an MD, the author, she changed her intake form and mm -hmm. had a very specific client. It was a very in-depth intake form that would ask what we would see as pretty personal questions like you know what's your relationship like with your spouse or or partner or yeah. you know, what are your stress levels and all of a sudden now the medical intake form is a lot more kind of similar to what we would expect from kind of like a psychiatric evaluation or something mm -hmm. and what they were finding is yes okay so there's these people who are super physically fit super physically fit these looking like just from the outside that they are what the epitome of what we would consider healthy mm -hmm. but what drives someone to get to that degree of physically fit yeah. is it questionable self-worth is it you know like again um forms of of exercise can actually be avoidant mm -hmm. tools from dealing with trauma it can be yeah. you know signs that there's a lot more going on so there's all these people and i'm not again i'm not generalizing that anyone who has a, a six-pack out there has has issues <laughs> but there was this this label a very clear label of you look this way you must be healthy but okay we're what's happening on the inside and when we understand stress like really start to dive into stress and understanding what that does to your organs, what that does, what signals that mm -hmm. sends down to your metabolism, to your white blood cells, to, you know, all these different components that your body thinks that you need when you're being attacked. But now if it thinks it's being attacked all the time, so you need to be a peak physical condition exactly. because you need to fight off some invisible demons or something then uh internally you could have a lot going on and that's what i think mm -hmm. this like i think this specialist world that we live in is it, it has its place there's going to be times where you need to get mm -hmm. a brain surgery and you need to get someone who's in there but the way that all of these people uh are interacting sharing information sharing the knowledge and passing that on and everything i think that's that needs to be an element of uh how we move forward to really promote like holistic health. Yes. Yes. I, I really agree with that. Um, just to, I guess, like jump off of what you were saying in terms of like the mind body connection there. Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that like the foundations of, I guess, like science are kind of like based in dualism. Like mm. I think it was like Descartes that kind of, um, talked about like the, the mind body um duality kind of things and now we're kind of like re-piecing it together and like oh no, no no this 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 is all one one system that's working together um so yeah i think it's it's really interesting because our society is becoming more and more aware of like the impact of stress on our our physical well-being because it's all it's all the same thing like <laughs> even though we found like labels to help describe it um it doesn't mean that they're they're separate from one another we have separated them but they they exist 
uh, together. And I think another really great book, we're just, this is a, just a giant, <laughs> a giant like book review, I guess. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love Gabor Mate. He's a, a physician from out in Vancouver who was an, an addictions counselor, and he's written a lot of really great books. He actually co-wrote the book that I mentioned before, Hold On To Your Kids. Um, and he's also wrote uh, some books about like ADHD and uh, addiction. Uh, he's recently re released a, a documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma, which mm -hmm. is really good, highly recommend. Um, but uh, uh, an influential book that I read by him is called When the Body Says No. And he talks mm -hmm. a lot about how in his experience as a physician, he noticed a lot of like trends and similarities between like certain ways of being and certain conditions. I thought that was really, really cool to see like, oh, wow, like you mean people who tend to repress their anger and not express it tend to be, I don't know, have this condition a little bit more. That's really interesting. Okay, could like helping these people um, express their anger in positive ways have a positive influence on their health? And could that potentially be like an, uh, an answer alongside Western medicine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there's another really great book that I have yet to read in full called Cured, uh, which talks a little bit about that. Let me, I forget the subtitle. Let me read it. Um, you just happen to have it on a shelf next yeah, to you. Yeah, well, I just bought it because I listened to the audiobook, but the thing is because this this one's also pretty hefty. Um, it, sorry, for the people who are listening, it's about like, I guess for me, hefty is like over 300 pages and this is like at three, like 80 or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, it's another physician that kind of talks about um, the power of our immune systems and how like stress mm -hmm. impacts our ability to like fight against disease because um, when you're, yeah, when, when, when you're stressed out of your mind, um, your body needs to uh, send certain things and resources to other areas, which kind of like gets your guard down uh, right. in terms of like immunity, right? So well, um, again, it's like our body has the same kind of signals that we were talking about. When it's yeah. emergency, then it's not focused on the holistic well-being. It's focused on survival. <laughs> mind blown and that's what it does right so it focuses as soon as we go into that fight flight response mm -hmm. like fight, freeze flinch all the different f's responses um we our bodies focusing on what's going to help us stay alive mm -hmm. and so it's not focusing on metabolizing it's going to metabolize your food faster but it's not going to be producing all the same enzymes and all this kind of stuff that help yeah. you can actually be eating when you're super stressed out but being malnourished for example because we're only designed to hold on to stress for a short period yes. of time. And in those short periods of time, we can go without eating. We could, you know, all these kinds of things. But when it's prolonged, and this is the thing that we just were not designed really to be able to handle is this prolonged stress that mm -hmm. is so, especially again, we're tapping back into the fact that this is happening, that, that we're recording this. Hopefully, can we maybe say the end of a pandemic? Fingers <laughs> crossed. But mm -hmm. um you know, so many people that I worked with are just in constant state of, yep. of fight flight, like just red zone, rest and restore. I give this analogy all the time. Imagine, so the difference between an antelope and a human, here we go. There's, there's many, but uh, <laughs> the analogy I love is imagine that you're an antelope and you're down by the drinking hole and a lion comes and attacks you. 
when that happens, our response as a human and an antelope would probably be pretty similar. We are going to kick, scream, fight, do anything that we can to get away. And hopefully we do. And if we were to get away, if you were an antelope that doesn't have this, like, I, I almost consider it like mid-evolution prefrontal cortex, because in some ways we're too smart for our own good, but we're not smart enough. Um, so we, we've developed this brain now that instead of being like, okay, well, if I'm an antelope, I'm going to find a shady spot. I'm going to take a nap because I have all of this stress built up inside of me and I need to metabolize it. I need mm -hmm. to bring it down and I need to get back to baseline as a human being that can relive the past over and over and over again with pretty good proficiency, we would not be able to rest. In fact, even after the event, our stress level can go up higher, even when the lion's gone, wow. just from yeah. us replaying the image over and over and over in our mind. And we're probably not gonna sleep that night. And we're probably gonna call all of our friends and tell them about the story. And we're gonna relive it more and more and more. And now from this like pure mammalian I don't know, evolution of being able to give it everything we need to for a short period of time to escape the lion. Now I'm on to like day three, still haven't slept, traumatized, never going back to that watering hole, even though it's the only one, yeah. in, you know, a, a reasonable radius and I end up dying of dehydration or something. Like we are, we are very interesting beings, these yes. sapiens. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, Man, I just have so it's like fireworks of ideas and I don't know where to start. Huh, I, I wish I wish this could be like a four part series because <laughs> this is exactly like the kind of mentality that I kind of have going into practice because I feel like we need to come back and contextualize like, OK, what it, what is it that like makes us healthy, which mm -hmm. helps us thrive and, and be well in a way, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I really like how you made that connection between like, well, our systems are kind of like a reflection of, um, the, the systems that have served us in a way we're trying to replicate that. And in certain ways, like our sub, our subjective systems, uh, mm -hmm. should be a reflection of our collective systems in a way. I feel like side, side tangent, again, yeah. tangent time with Matt. Um, <laughs> I feel like our world, um, is kind of like a, the way I, I, I conceive of it is that like our our brains are like the machines that help us uh, construct our subjective reality and our world is really what um, helps us construct our collective reality in a way. And I feel like it's funny because you've got like the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain, one that's more based on structure and one that's based on freedom. And you can see that right now as a society, we're really trying to find that balance between the two, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool, but it's, it's microcosms within macrocosms. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's so cool. Um, but I think that's, uh, another takeaway from that is that like, because we are limited to our own perceptions, we need to interact with people. We need to connect with people in order to help better identify our blind spots. Mm -hmm. Um, because our, what we see as blind spots, uh, might actually be some, somebody else's perception. And I feel like in a world where, and I guess like in a world in a society where difference and things that are unknown have typically been um, perceived as danger uh, for survival reasons, have it like difference has then 
turned into like demonization, like, oh, she's a witch because she knows things that we don't know. So let's burn her, mm -hmm. um, which led to like difference being ostracized. And now in some ways, I feel like um, difference at the new way to like um, shun difference is to almost like pathologize it. Like um, I am currently trying to figure out whether or not I have ADHD. What? Someone who goes on side tangents all the time? Ah. Mm -hmm. um, but genuinely, I don't like, even though right now, like this is a, a point in time in our society where like we have found a name for it and I see the benefits of it because then people can get, um, I don't know, like the resources that they need, the tools and resources that they need to thrive. But it's under the context of like using a social model of disability, um, kind of instead of framing the disability on the person, it's like, well, it's the way the society functions that enables that disability. Like if uh, what what is ability based off of that society and what doesn't fall under that definition um, is in a way a, a disability. So how can we enhance our way of, of perceiving ability, you know? Well, and I think when you talked about to, you know, being in community again, it's a recurring theme, mm -hmm. but being in community and recognizing that those differences that we once, you know, saw as witchcraft yes. and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, but that those are the strengths of community. So like I was working with mm -hmm. someone who um, has diagnosed ADHD and in the beginning, it kind of seemed like the question was, well, how can you help me asking me? Like, how can you help me be like everybody else? Mm -hmm. Like, well, you're not like, okay, so let's, let's talk about the strengths, the amazing abilities that you have. You can hyper-focus if you want on mm -hmm. putting together that circuit board and you can, you know, you can really dive into it, which is an amazing ability. And there's so many strengths yes. that come from all of our differences and then just learning to learning to work with the things that are going to help us be in society more. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I, I know myself, I have no diagnosed anything. I'm a quite an interesting character, but um, if I didn't have my, my phone keeping me on track, I have mm -hmm. to put, and it, it took a lot of training for myself to learn to put every one of my appointments in my phone as soon as I make it, because I'm going to forget instantly. Yes. And set reminders and alarms. And I have my mm -hmm. phone linked up with my wife's phone so that she can even look at it and say, don't forget you have oh, this. Oh, that's great. And like, I had to learn to work with my brain and I had my wife as a member of my community helping mm -hmm. me with that. And she has her strengths and I have a, an amazing group of friends, which I'm so glad that I'm going to be able to like camp with them and do all these things with them. Again, we've been hanging on virtually as best we can. I have an amazing group of friends that is made up of uh, people who have all kinds of different cultural backgrounds mm -hmm. that identify uh, differently as far as sexual orientation. And when we all get together, you know, if you just had a soup that was just made of one spice, it'd be pretty boring, right? And so it's like everyone's putting in their different spices and it just makes something so beautiful. And again, I think this is what comes back to this idea of, you know, how do we, how do we start approaching healing, approaching care, compassion, approaching stress, all these kinds of things from a holistic way mm -hmm. is by open, honest, and like compassionate community because we gain a perspective when we're in our own little uh, bubble where we're just seeing our side of things, then yeah, we're going to be influenced by our past traumas a lot more. We're going to be influenced yeah. by our cultural upbringing, man, the way that my like 
strict European Italian upbringing, the ideas that I had, I remember the first time I had a, a girlfriend and she wanted to sit in, a friend of mine picked us up. She wanted to sit in the front seat and it was like, no, 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 the men sit in the front seat. Like I was oh, just whoa. like, that was what I was experiencing. And it was wow. just so mind blowing to be like, oh, okay, hold on. The world is different than yes. I was taught to, you know, and that those moments when you're getting exposed to something new, it's what you, to bring it full circle, puns within puns, <laughs> that uh, camp growing edge that you were talking yeah. about, right? Because we can get so easily complacent with the way things are. And, you know, we've, we've been living in this pandemic and I was listening to uh, the radio yesterday and they were talking about like the hybrid model of going to work now and what that means for people who can now do virtual. And this is something that's come out of something that many of us see as a huge burden on our lives. Yeah. Uh, but now we have this ability where maybe offices don't need to be as large because they're doing two days into the office at a time for their employees and they can rotate through different workstations. So the office can be smaller. There's less resources. There's less fossil fuels going into the air because of commutes cutting down and all this kind of stuff. Like we can have things when we are pushed to the edge of our comfort we can have amazing things kind of come from it. And, you know, you know, I, I look at you, you're in your, 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 in your second year or wherever you are in your master's yeah. and everything. Right. Like there's a mountain there of, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, there's so many things that I want to change. And there's, you know, so many issues that I see. Yeah. Um, but we got to find those little, we got to find those little steps. For sure. Yeah. It's just one day at a time until those days accumulate to, I don't know what is even time, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I, I, I think we need, we need to be hopeful, um, when it comes to that hopeful, but also actionable, mm -hmm. um, just to bounce off of something that you mentioned earlier, like, and relating to authenticity as well. I think something that really needs to happen and that is happening slowly, but surely, but just listening just listening to people, listening to people who have been impacted. And instead of placing a late, cause um, yeah, I think we have a tendency to place labels on thing, things because it helps us better understand it. But um, when those labels are um, a means of division as opposed to connection, I think um, those can constrain us and our understanding. So like really listening uh, particularly to minorities or people who are living with disabilities to see like what their their lives are actually like, because sure we can recommend as many like, I don't know, like stress management and pain management strategies. But if we're not getting to the core of the issue, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, those strategies aren't going to to serve those people if they don't think that they're, or don't feel that their um, situation is is being fully understood by the person who's caring for them, you know? Yeah, and you know, I think a good note to leave on because I want to be conscious of our time. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, I'm a huge like compassion warrior. And one of the big things that's come up through this pandemic is there. there's a lot of division, a lot of division on views, mm. a lot of division on, you know, mask, not that mask, vax, not vax, and what I think this really is. And like, there's so many things 
that if we look at the surface that make us seem so different in our beliefs and everything and if we focus on that then instead of this community that we're talking about building that can be so supportive and healing and all this we're going to isolate even more but if mm. we distill all of this down if we distill down the the passion that often drives the conflict a lot mm. of times we have if we if we really boil it down there's fear there's fear of a, a pandemic there's a fear of a virus that can injure me there's fear of losing my uh, control over my own reality of over my rights maybe or whatever that uh, view may be there's fear of well what of the what about the unknown and and there's all this kind of stuff but the reason why there's so much passion or so much drive is because we're right now there's so many people that are living in fear and just think if we can look past the guard look past the you know the strong faces and the way that it's coming up often is anger and we go beyond that and see frightened individuals then you know maybe it has to be a metaphorical hug but like you just want to embrace the people around you and if we can do mm -hmm. that if we can just pause and see the world around us as all being people who are so many of us are hurt in some way and just afraid wanting to have some semblance of joy happiness bliss man then we can try to we can really start to look at compassion from that yeah we yeah need that exactly pause. we need that pause mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i feel yeah i feel like in the in the past just a a, a quick uh mm -hmm. i guess like uh personal story <laughs> just uh to riff off of that uh yeah i feel like up until very recently when i was working customer service i would take a lot of things very personal Mm -hmm. um, and then it wasn't until very recently when I, I it came to um, be more authentic with myself and be more okay with myself. I was like, oh, this really isn't about the coffee. It's mm -hmm. about everything else that came before this, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I can kind of stop that chain um, and I acknowledge that I'm like very lucky and privileged to be in this position where it's like, oh, I, I have worked through my traumas and I'm okay now. And now that I know that I'm okay and I know you're not okay, I don't need to reflect that anger back to you, you know? Like I can just be like, listen, I'm really sorry. Like do something to like, I don't know, brighten their day if that's possible. Um, mm. And yeah, kind of like stop that that reoccurring um, theme of anger. Cause I feel like, yeah, it, people, it's, it's very much like that Snickers commercial. Like you're not you when you're hungry. Yeah. Or like lonely or thirsty or yeah. in need of like basic needs aren't being met right now. And whenever someone is angry at me anymore, like I, I, I don't really get a, as upset as I used to, I approach it with a bit more understanding, like, Oh, mm. something's going on here. And I think that's, that's so important. Um, amazing. So Matt, uh, I think there's going to be some big things coming your way. It sounds there's lots of passion. Oh, fingers crossed. You were mentioning that you wanted to um, get, you know, a YouTube channel going and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Any way that you can put out there that people are going to be able to follow you as you go through your journey? For sure. For sure. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, kind plug. Yeah. Um, I'm really passionate about sharing um, the things that I know about occupational therapy. I mean, Granted, I am still a master's student, so I still have a lot to learn and I still have a lot of head ahead of me in terms of like what there is to know. Um, but I think we're all just figuring things out. And I think uh, connection is a really big way to do that. So hence the name of my YouTube channel, it's gonna be called Detectives of Life. So 
Um, if you'd like to subscribe, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping to have one of my first videos posted by August. So I don't know when this is posted, August of 2021. So um, fingers crossed. This is this serves as a really good means of um, accountability. So thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thank you for having me too. This was a real pleasure. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I had no idea yeah. which direction we were going to go in, but I'm so happy it went in the directions that it did. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to checking in again, maybe for uh, point two of the of the podcast. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, Matt. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about higher potential living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.